1: What's good,
2: y'all? Welcome to In the Deep, a deep league-focused fantasy baseball podcast, part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. My name is Jordan White, and I'm joined here once again by my good friend and co-host, Christopher Schwebzee Weber. Schwebzee, how are we doing this week? Hi, friends. It's a
3: good week. It's, you, you know, I don't know how many of you at home are gamers, but this is like the first good video gaming week that has happened in so long with all the COVID delays
2: and whatnot, but God of War and Pokemon came out. I'm having a blast. I've I've got neither of these than Shrubzy has two. Shrubzy has two video game and I have no video game, which I think is personally quite unfair. I just simply moved down to to North Carolina like I like I have begged and suggested and I mean once you build the shed again but I can live in the backyard and <laughs> we'll take care of that. I'll get down there ASAP. You know this, but uh, yes, uh, I'm excited for you to continue playing through God of War and hopefully keep it spoiler free so I can eventually enjoy it. Uh, Pokémon you can spoil for me though.
1: I think oh, we oh, know this whole song it.
2: and dance at this point. Get eight badges to defeat the Pokemon League. So on and so forth. But be the very best, uh, et cetera. Very best. Like we always were. Or however the song goes. Anyways. <laughs> uh, we are lucky enough this week to be joined by a guest. Uh, our guest. Actually, it's really nice because now I'm not the only ginger on the podcast. Uh, this is, of course, a podcast. Just notoriously a visual medium, so you all get to enjoy this. Uh, we're joined by a host of the Hacks and Jacks podcast, as well as the writer of the hitter list on pitcherlist.com, uh, one Scott Chu. Scott, how's it going?
4: Going fantastic. I also got Pokemon today. The best part about having a kid is you can now justify the dual pack real easy.
2: Ooh. This is why kids are important. Okay. Oh,
4: yeah. You you pick up you pick up both at the same time. I hope Pokemon branches into like four chat you know like four games at once because i got twins on the way so i can just buy everybody pokemon we all get every pokemon but no i'm um i'm excited to be here it's gonna be fun we're gonna talk about the stuff yeah we're gonna talk about hitters you know notably at pitcher list we do love the hitters right
2: yes it's Uh, it's your favorite thing
4: yeah yeah like we nick's great he found someone to squirrel away to talk about hitters and never have to think about them again and i'm so glad to be that guy
2: you have your role and you fill it very, very well. Also, just to note, I am—I don't even know if you knew this, Scott. I am a twin myself. As am I. Wow. Ginger, Wait, are, you what really? are You
4: Schwebzy? just some brunette jerk. <laughs>
2: how, how dare you uh, assume assume Shwebzy. my
3: sibling status?
2: Schwebzy, you're you're pretty. Uh, sorry. This, I mean, this just completely, with all due respect, but you're pretty plain. I'm so plain. <laughs> I'm just some
4: guy. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I am I am just I am just, you know, gray floors, white walls, just uh, just, you
2: know, I'm I'm just here. Also speaking of uh I mean, for those that don't know already, uh Scott's probably one of the best dressed uh people in the fantasy community, I would say. Scott, because this is once again a visual medium, uh aka a podcast, can you describe to me what you're wearing right now cuz you look like the, an extra from Hawkeye season 1, one of the uh tracksuit mafia guys.
4: Oh yeah, it's beautiful. So I've got a a navy blue Adidas tracksuit like the the classic, like, white pinstripes going down the side. I've got this white mock neck underneath. Blue sunglasses, which if you follow me on Twitter, at it's you'll you'll see me wear these things all the time because they're super cool. Uh, and I don't care <laughs> if you think they are or not because they are. You're wrong. It's fine. Uh, but, you know, so, and I've got that. I've got, like, a fresh haircut, my, my ginger mustache. I have everything I've ever wanted right now in terms of what I've wanted to look like my entire life.
2: it's perfect i I appreciate you dressing up and uh dressing the part for us here we appreciate it obviously uh so also aside from doing the hitter list and also having hacks and jacks which your episodes by the way can you just like can you just uh pimp your podcast for a hot minute obviously like they're listening to us they probably listen to you already as well but can you tell us like when your episodes release uh kind of give us a preview of like what your last episode was about
4: yeah, we, we drop on uh, Mondays now. We drop on, on Monday. Uh, we we talk. I mean, we mostly talk about hitters, right? Hacks and jacks. I mean, that, that's what we are. We're the spiritual successor to the old uh, On the Barrel podcast with John Metzeler and Dave Sherman. Uh, man, mm-hmm. we had our last podcast a little over a week ago. I'm not going to lie. Uh, oh, we talked about um, first base. We talked about some ADP at first base with the NFPC. We also talked about some of the steamer projections that have come out and some surprising hitter projections that have come out, how we felt about them, uh, you know, The steamer projections coming out are a big deal because you notice that the NFBC ranks, the NFBC ADP starts changing dramatically once projections start coming out. Because before you do, like before you have the projections, you have no idea what other people think about other players, right? You have none. Yeah. Like writing the hitter, you know, I've already done the top 200 hitters for 2023. I do that before the projections come out, so I have no idea how much other people like players. We also do that, uh, the pitcher list first mock draft before projections come out so that you're really stuck in this place of, I have no idea how much any of you like any of these players. And you're really just like, you're going in as, as like cold as you can having no idea. Like I really like this player, but I've like without ADP, you have no way to know like what rat, like when is this a steal? Right. Am I reaching? I don't know if I'm reaching. Yeah. I like this player a lot, but I I mean, I don't know if I could wait. So you you see some really cool but weird stuff.
2: Yeah, I really like those early mocks, especially mostly because it's just you're kind of freewheeling and you're able to just kind of reach and get your guy and then justify that, especially the way that uh, Nick does the podcast with everyone who does that mock draft with him. Uh, Everyone just kind of gets to reach for the people that they really want to talk about, which I know is like a lot of Schwabzee's justification for why he chooses specific people during those drafts and also because he's a homer and he likes to choose just a buttload of Mets which kind of which, makes sense which recently but, is no, a I, no, more I successful
4: love- strategy than it's ever been <laughs> <before>. <laughs> yes, it's <true. laughs> like recently that might actually be a fantasy baseball team
3: you know i i wish i wish i could reach for bets nowadays but people are doing it ahead of me i'm i'm picking first so my second pick is at you know the last pick of the second round i'm like great i'll try to take like pete alonso at the turn but no he gets taken with pick 13. I can't I can't even I if I want to reach repeat so I have to take him in the first round now. Can't do that. Can't do that. Can't do that. As as much as I love my my big meaty polar bear.
1: <laughs> uh
2: yeah. Uh so the thing that I was oh god, I was gonna ask something. Oh yeah. So aside from obviously hacks and jacks, obviously you do the hitter list article as well. Scott, you also are often running the AMAs that happen on the fantasy baseball subreddit. Uh My question for you is from this past season, what is the best advice that you've given and what's the worst advice you gave?
4: Oh my God. So uh, the, the worst advice is usually like you'd think it just be players that I say you shouldn't like, and it turns out bad or something like that. It's actually not even players. It's like, I'll have an idea of a strategy that's going to work, right? Like I'll be like this This team has a great week coming up, right? I remember like the Rockies for a week were like, they were about to come home. They had this beautiful like seven or eight game schedule. I'm like, man, you need to load up on Rockies. You're going to crush your week. And then the Rockies like, and then because I had forgotten that the Rockies are also bad, right? Like they're just not good. So I'm like recommending all these guys. I look back, I'm like, I am a fantasy analyst. Why did I ever tell someone to care about Garrett Hampson? Like what is wrong with me? Like what? How much Kool-Aid do you have to drink to be like this guy doesn't even play every day for the Rockies. Right? Like how am I recommending this like long-term? or uh uh oh, uh no. Uh, it, there was a guy for like the Phillies right when Kyle Schwarber was coming back. I can't even remember his name, but he was a lefty. And I was like, "Oh yeah, get this guy. Like I think he's going to be able to stay in the lineup and everything." And then they cut him. <laughs> they cut him. They were just like, "Nah." Because I was like, oh, because Schwarber's probably going to be a DH because he's got that, you know, he's got that injury and I think they're they're not going to put him in the field. And they just, they just like, they, they put him on, like they put him in the minors and then they cut him. Like, it was awesome. Felt really good about it. It's like,
3: Derek Hall. Derek
4: yeah. Hall. I was like, oh, this is going to be great because he had been good. He had been hitting better. And they were like, yeah, no, screw that guy. Like the Phillies had no interest in Derek Hall once Kyle Schwarber got healthy again. And I I'd put a lot of eggs in that, but I wrote a whole article. Like I covered, uh, I covered an
2: article with it.
4: I covered the, uh, uh hitters to stream and he was, the, he was the centerpiece and I looked awesome. It was great.
2: I mean, he came up on this podcast. I'm sure. I think Schwebzy was the one who decided to talk about him back then. Right.
4: Cause he was hitting like he was, I he was, this, yeah, he was hitting for a bunch of power. They were letting him hit in the middle of the lineup. And I was like, they'll at least, like, they'll at least platoon him, like, worst case scenario. No, worst case scenario was exactly what happened. They, they designated him and then they basically, like, they might as well have cut him. They never, he never sniffed the majors again.
2: They sent him to the Deuce on Bears, essentially.
4: I mean, basically, basically, and then, like, they go, they go all the way, like, they, they just did not care about him. Anymore.
3: My favorite uh, thing is when someone is like hitting in the middle of the order or lead off and then suddenly gets sent to the shadow realm. Yep. It's like you, you, you liked him enough to have him in a prime lineup spot, but then you just. Oh, on a major league roster. Yeah. Like <laughs> out of all the people you could choose.
4: So, so when you think about it, like, honestly, the worst advice you can get is you, you talk yourself into and hype up these situations where you're like, man, I'm so smart. Do you see like no one else sees a situation. It's like, no, they do. They just realize those players are very limited, right? They're not that good. And you're hyping it way up. I mean, you see it a lot like it's draft and hold season right now. And you'll hear it. You'll hear people start like reaching for these guys with like 480p because they've created these narratives in their mind of how this player gets a path to relevancy. You have to be like, hold on, stop for a second. Are they good? Like, (laughs) does this player have any like meaningful talents? Like, it's one thing to do this with a prospect who has Pedigree or like some high, like some big tools, but like you'll do it with a guy who's like just a dude. You know how many times we did this to ourselves with Delino De Shields, right? Like he could (laughs) be the leadoff guy for the Rangers. He could. He was the leadoff guy for the Rangers for two and a half months for like six years, right? And it never. It just ended up being some steals that other people got because you had to cut them and they picked them up off the wire, right? Like that was. That's the worst. Like honestly, I find the worst advice I can give is when I let myself get wrapped up in those. Those scenarios where I just convince myself that this is going to be magical because I forget that the player themselves, like they're a very limited player and, and the teams already know that.
2: Yeah, exactly. So this just like all I can think about when you're talking about this is this is the baseball fantasy baseball equivalent of fan fiction.
4: Yeah, yeah, we, we're, we're so is. good at it. We are. We, we the, the narratives we can develop, like the highs and lows, like the subplots, like we are amazing at this. And we'll talk about my favorite narrative device in this podcast later, according to the notes. But uh, we're really good at making them up in our head with nothing but like two stats. We get like two static pieces of data and we're like, this is the narrative. Don't worry. I know exactly how a manager and a front office are going to deal with things. I'll say that about the rock. The Rockies don't even know what the Rockies are going to do. Right. They make it up as they go. There's no other explanation. I'm sitting there trying to project what they're going to do. Get out of here.
1: Yeah, they don't know what's going on. <laughs> Look, my, <laughs> my, Ed,
3: my Edwin Rios fanfic
2: it from La- is very steamy. So just want to put that out there.
4: I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, I thought
2: you said Edwin Diaz. And then I thought about something. I thought about a line with about a trumpet. And then my mind went, <laughs> never mind. Anyways, uh, moving podcast, on. Jordan. Wait, what's that? Family friendly mm-hmm. podcast. Yep, I know. That's what I'm going to continue. Uh, do we want to talk about trades and D- uh, some DFA's that have happened next? Does that sound like a good uh, a good place to go first? Yeah, you know we're, we're talking about uncertainty. Let
3: let us talk let's talk about yeah. the
2: uncertainty of a bunch I, of players getting. Say, that's the thing because I, I to quote Scott's hitter list that has been, been most recently updated. You had Paul Goldschmidt below Teoscar Hernandez, which that's something that I think I could maybe see you trying to justify that. Like I don't personally agree with it. I could see you justifying it before he got traded to the Mariners. Now that he got traded to Seattle, I have. I I think I think obviously like you would probably re rank that in a different order as well, right? Sure
4: would. Yeah, probably. I I felt about I felt like re ranking it maybe like six hours after it came out because it was one of those narratives like (laughs) I can do this, I can do it, and now I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. He's just another power hitting corner outfielder, and yeah, it's great when you're hitting fourth for the Blue Jays, and like the Mariners have a scrappy lineup that's getting better at the top, but like he's also, I mean, he is a He is a good corner outfielder. He's a good fantasy outfielder, but he's like, there's a lot of them in that range that can do what he does.
3: Yeah. Well, I think my favorite, like, really deep league trade that happened, and we we do we we, you know we're gonna we're gonna talk about a, a range of ADPs today, but deep league is generally our focus. I think my single favorite trade that happened is Nolan Jones to Colorado. Like, how how drastically does that change his outlook for you? Because the environment is better, sure, but he's going to the Rockies and the Rockies do tend to do rocky things. And there's a chance that he only gets like 150 plate appearances next year because they like to do things like that.
4: Mm -hmm. That's the really important point here. So the problem here is that this is a really crowded team, right? Like they actually the one thing they had was guys to plug into the outfield who are major league caliber, right? They already had mm-hmm. Jonathan Daza. They've got it, Charlie Blackman has no business being out there, but they've done it right. They've got Randall Grichik. They've got uh, Chris Bryant, who was hurt for so much of last year. They had a real. They had Sean Bouchard. Really came on for them towards the end of last season. He's like this corner outfield, corner infield guy. Uh, the the DH spot also gets eaten up by a Montero, who has shown a lot of power, even though he's a huge free swinger. Um, they like to put Garrett Hampson out there sometimes for no. For no particular reason, <laughs> this team, Connor, Joe is in the minors as well. You know, he came on for a month or two and like, this is all ignoring the fact that like in maybe a year or two, Zach Veen will be in that outfield, right? And, this is a totally really
3: a, totally is knocking on the door.
4: Yeah, this is a really crowded outfield. So he just goes from one to another and it's a great home environment, but you have to remember like the, the converse of the Colorado effect. They're awesome at home and it crushes road numbers because the ball moves more. Like you literally like every other week you're having to react to a ball that now moves an extra couple of inches, which makes a big deal when you have a round bat and a round ball, right? Yep. Like the difference between a ground ball, line drive and a fly ball is a total of about like what? Three quarters of an inch on a bat, right? Mm-hmm. Like it is not much between that and swing plane, you know, round bat, round ball. It's really difficult and you have to, you have to change it all the time. It's why we talk about guys like Nolan Arenado. When he went to, when he went to St. Louis, there were all people like, oh, his road numbers stink. I'm like, that's because he's a Rocky. All Rocky road numbers stink. There's a reason we call it Rocky Road. There's a reason we do that because it's hard to hit on the road as a Rocky because you go from a place where the ball doesn't move that much to everything moves like crazy. Can you, like, San Francisco, the air density in San Francisco is just, like, so dramatically different from Colorado. So you go over there, and all of a sudden, Carlos Rodon is hucking sliders at you that move like, no, like, they move like curveballs. Like, they move all the way across the freaking plate, and you're like, I didn't know baseball could do that because I've been in Colorado for the last week and a half.
3: Yeah, for for those at home who don't know, there is a there is a like a known effect where like the first couple of games after a homestand, the Rockies are like terrible hitters, and then they they kind of get better the longer like they, they adjust because adjustment period, They, they yeah. get they get you know the, these are still professional hitters, these are still good hitters. They're just constantly having their environment changed on them. So, you know, they, they get better as their road trips go along, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. So are, are you, you're, you're not in on a, the Nolan Jones, uh, ADP rise at post-trade?
4: I mean, so these are draft and hold, right? So you're shooting for, you know, you're shooting for the moon down there. I I will say in a draft and hold, there are going to be weeks where he's a very tempting starter, right? If he's, if he's playing semi-regularly. He's going to be really tempting for a couple of weeks and that late in the draft, like, yeah, a couple of weeks is pretty darn good, right? You're hoping to play this guy ever, right? So I like that. But when you start talking about, you know, what, you know, what the hitter list is meant to kind of be for these 12 team leagues, like he should not be drafted, right? Unless they come out and tell us he's playing every day for the Rockies, which they won't. That's not going to happen. You just can't draft him because you don't have room on your bench for part-time players. You don't have room for your bench you don't have room on your bench for part-time players with plate discipline issues, right? Like you just, you can't roster that. So it's fine in draft and hold, but in other leagues, I mean, he's a last round pick slash like watch list guy because he's got to get playing time and he has to not strike out a bazillion percent of the time. That I hate asking for two things. right. right? I don't like asking for a guy to win a job and be a different hitter. Right. That's a, that's a huge ask, right? Like, Granted, when it happens, it's because they sort of play into themselves. So as the plate discipline gets better, they get a chance to be an everyday player. But you're still asking for a lot on a team that jerks people around ever. When is, who is the last prospect that the Rockies had that they actually developed? Right? Ryan McMahon. That's the best player they've had. Like Nolan Arenado, Ryan McMahon. Well, who else?
1: Who else it has this team, team brought team. up? Yeah.
4: Brendan Rodgers has been a prospect for like 18 years.
1: <laughs> and he's still like, he still can't play every day.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's there's hopes for like Tovar, but you're absolutely right.
4: Like, I, and I like Tovar, but like, how many years does it take for the Rockies to do that? Right now, again, it's new management. Maybe it's gotten better, but got to show it to me first. Show me that you're not going to jerk your players around every single day.
3: I've heard that the the Rockies simply uh, make roster decisions based on vibes, and that kind of puts their team into perspective for me.
4: Uh, once upon a time I um I, I would compare them to things like I like I, I assumed they had a witch doctor in the back that like boiled frog bones and used them to just sort of like divinate exactly what the lineup should be on a given day. Because they would they would have guys that like I, I can't even remember who it was, but like they would have players who were promising outfielders who could not play in the same lineup position two days consecutively, they bat like second, then seventh, then fourth, then eighth, then first, then fourth, then fifth, then ninth. It was like, it was insane. And I'm like, what are you guys even doing? How is, how is any player supposed to get comfortable when they can't even get like, they can't even like, they didn't even play the same position on back-to-back days, right? They, they were, they were a corner outfield and you couldn't keep them in the same position for two days in a row. It was, it's insane. It's really hard because the art of hitting is a constant game of adaptation, right? Because the moment you look good, pitchers find weak holes and they make you defend those holes in your swing, right? Like if you, if you're weak to low yeah. and away, you get pounded low and away, right? You show a weakness to breaking balls. You get fed breaking balls until you cannot like until you make them change, right? So when you're also changing your position, your spot in the lineup and your approach every single day, what are you supposed to do?
2: Hey everyone Jordan here. This is a moment where we had some small technical difficulties, so we're actually going to take this opportunity to send you to an ad break and we'll be right back with more Scott Chu right after this
4: that's all right we all right, we okay. can just we can just go no the, 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 God has told us this this spot is not that important. We'll just move on
2: no no, no, this is <laughs> no, no this is important so uh the one thing I want to talk about with this specifically though is like i I think for a player, kind of like the point that you're almost getting to as well is that. The routine and like having that predictability and like the, the fewer variables, the more comfortable you can be. So like moving around in different line of spots every single day, moving around to different defensive positions every single day like that, that can I feel like this. And obviously, this isn't great fantasy analysis necessarily. It feels it like it could be really difficult for people on a day to day in terms of how easily they are able to adjust.
4: It's funny. The more I do this the more I realize that like, yeah, numbers are important and fantasy analysts, we all talk about numbers all the time, but the more you do this, the deeper you get, the more you start talking about humans, right? Baseball is a game played by humans. And just think about like in your own life, like in my own podcast, I reference the fact that I'm a rec league goalie who tore his knee up, right? But there are things that are real. Like it's really hard statistically to prove the existence of clutch, right? Basically the stats say it's not a thing, but what is a thing and what's hard to prove statistically is just being in the friggin' zone, right? There are days where I've played goalie rec league, low level where you can't score on me because I don't know, because some like, because every time I move my arms, I hit a soccer ball, right? Like there's just days like that. And then it, that's because I'm like, I'm in a rhythm. I'm in a zone. That's hard to do. If you're changing positions all the time, or you're changing lineup spots all the time, or, you know, you're, you're, you know, just like think it's your own job. Like, if every day you came in, yeah, every day is a little different. But, like, if your to- if your role on your team changed every day, right? Like, it'd be yeah. hard to feel really comfortable what you're doing, right? Unless you're already very, very good. But that's not who they do this to. They yep. do this to the guys who are just trying to get in the majors, and all of a sudden, they are thinking about 13 different things, right? Because they're moving them all over the lineup, all over the field, which is great, except for the fact that these players – are, they're, they're trying to adjust to the fact that they're in the major leagues now, right? Like, they're trying yeah. to find apartments. <laughs> like, they're just, <laughs> everything's getting thrown out of whack, and the Rockies can't figure out why these players don't develop. Because you give them no chance to feel like they have both feet on the ground at the same time.
3: Michael Toglia is sleeping on Randall Gritchuk's couch, and we're expecting him to hit Carlos Rodon sliders? Okay.
4: Yeah, after being in Colorado for two weeks, right? <laughs> <laughs> like,
1: come on! <laughs>
2: Oh uh, damn! Okay, uh, I want to cover a couple more people here as far as trades go as well. Kyle Lewis for Cooper Hummel. How
1: Who cares? do you feel
2: about either? of the, you, you don't care about either of them. So, like,
4: congratulations, Kyle Lewis, for that rookie of the year win. But he just goes from one crowded outfield full of prospects to another crowded outfield full of prospects. Yeah. Right, like
3: well, so weird. Why? Why did Arizona do that?
4: It makes no sense to me because, OK, then go like they can't find space for Alec Thomas, who, yes, he had a fairly rough year last year, but like there's a he's got a lot of tools. He can be a very useful outfielder. Mm-hmm. You think like, you already have Jake McCarthy who came out of nowhere. You had Stone Garrett who like m- who made offense for you like he got hits like he hit he hit the ball hard and, and now you just want to throw another guy in the mix who can't stay healthy. Like what for?
2: Yeah, I don't really understand this one at all either like i i like i like
3: seattle trading Kyle Lewis i wish it was to another team
4: a team who might need an outfielder like yeah. they they just the the Arizona just did not need an outfielder it's like the one position where they just have absolutely no need
1: yeah and
3: i have i have the feeling that cooper hummel is going to be a fantastic backup bench player but not really fantasy relevant
4: Welcome to much of Major League Baseball. Right. Yeah. Like there's a lot of very good players who just don't make an impact on our game. But uh like they're so valuable in real baseball. Yeah. Right? Like the the Don Kelly's of the world or like the Cooper Hummels, like they they do a lot of stuff that teams need. Um I, I think my favorite is like Luis Garcia, right? Over in the like in White Sox land. Yes, he had some fancy roles fantasy relevance because Tony La Russa could not resist having him bat at the top of the order for no reason but like he's a useful player because like teams need to have guys that play all like, you, they play 162 games you need guys you can plug in around around the field or a guy who at any given day you can plug in and have a replacement level player they just don't matter for yeah. us and it's hard to see a path to relevance for either guy but particularly Kyle Lewis because he was one I think that we all kind of hoped could find something there was 2020 potential in this bat Right, but he's gotten hurt a lot. They've kind of taken him off this stolen base path. They they don't have him doing that so much. They don't have you know his plate discipline has always been a problem. Like he won Rookie of the Year because it was twenty twenty, and you can mask plate discipline problems in sixty games.
3: Yeah, roster resource only has so much information at this point in the season. Although they do fantastic work in general, no matter the time of year. They currently have Kyle Lewis as the right-handed half of either a left field or DH platoon which is, you know, not ideal when you're the small half of a platoon. Yeah.
4: And Rosie, right? Like that's that's if he doesn't get hurt and if he doesn't strike out 40% of the time. Sure. Right? Because they have other guys they could put in.
2: Oh, plenty. Yeah, for sure.
3: Um, they got, they got rid of Stone Garrett. Like they 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 had just outfielders oozing out of every, you know, entrance to the field and just they they got rid of two and got another one i don't i don't really understand it i did not know where that sentence was going to go when you started <laughs> it, i'll be honest but <laughs> it started pitcherless unfriendly and then i realized it had to get pitcherless friendly by the end you did good kid
2: you did real good uh yeah i i guess i yeah i don't really understand this trade whatsoever but alas uh i'm not a i'm not i'm not an mlb executive and it's probably for good reason uh, all right, there's a couple more we want to talk about here. How about Gio Urshela to the Angels? Shubsi, I know you thought this might be like an avenue for Royce Lewis. Yeah, Royce Lewis isn't going to be healthy
3: until a good bit into the season. Like he, So players are generally the most optimistic people about their own injury timetables. And his personal timetable was sometime in 2023. So that's vague. We don't know when he's going to be playing. Hopefully, it's, you know, sometime this year. As for Urshela himself, he's a pretty bland player. He is deep league relevant for sure because he is a consistent bland player. But the question now is, what, like, does this mean they don't have faith in Rendon being healthy? And if they do have faith in Rendon being healthy, where does Urshela play? Is he going to be a shortstop because he's not a very good shortstop? Um, I'm, I have questions about like, wh- is Urshela just going to be a a super sub? Is he going to be a, a super utility guy? Because I mean that that could still be you know deep league fantasy relevant because he is such a cromulent bat.
4: God, I love that word so much. Uh,
2: he, see but, that's 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 a big Schwebsy word because it's at, a at great least once word. per episode.
4: It's got to be. Uh... He's really embigged that word uh, with how much he used it, but it's you know to me I wonder if it has to do with like they were missing Rendon and David Fletcher, and that's a big hole for them because they they have no like they don't have a lot of base players right like they have they have outfielders they have guys like a DH but they don't have a lot of guys to play like second and third short, and so I wonder if this is just a way to sort of like plug that up and be like okay if both Rendon and Fletcher are hurt, which happens a lot then we've also got this guy, right? We have, I mean, and also, they're probably just looking for guys who can put the bat on the ball to bat first or second if they need to, uh, because they've got Otani Trout in the 3-4. So yeah. you need guys that just slap the ball around, right? I mean, that's what David Fletcher has been for them. I think Gio Urshela is just a sort of a side grade to that. He's not as extreme with the with the contact, but he also doesn't strike out that much, and, and he's got a little bit more power, He's a useful ad. I think he'll continue to be a useful fantasy player in stretches, but he's not a guy you really draft or a guy that you like. He's probably a guy that in a lot of leagues, everybody rostered at one point.
1: Oh yeah. hundred yeah. percent at the beginning of last year. Yeah. The, the one thing I worry about though, is like if they go into the season
3: with him as their starting shortstop, I feel like they've made a big mistake. And that's how the
1: roster is currently constructed like uh, i i don't love that god forbid they make a splash for a
4: big shortstop right like god they could use it's weird cuz they have the two of the best hitters on this planet on this team right like two for sure hall of famers on this on this roster right now in in la but what like they they really actually need depth in hitting cuz they just don't have it
3: yeah, so sometimes I wish we were just a general baseball podcast because this is the kind of stuff I could talk about forever. Like, this lineup is begging for, like, a good left-field bat, and they're, those guys are everywhere, and then, like, a star shortstop, and there's, like, four of those on the market right now. Like, this, this could wind up being, like, a really strong lineup if they make, like, a couple of specific moves this
2: offseason. Go get Trey Turner and just unseat the Dodgers as the best team in L.A. I want First Batches of all, they're in me. Anaheim. Oh, I, okay. Okay, yes. I mean, well, they don't say, well, no, they don't say the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim anymore, though, they just call them the Los Angeles Angels. So I'm taking L-A-L-A-L-A. this. It was,
1: La- one of my <laughs> it was one of my favorite <laughs> <laughs> trivia questions
4: of like, tell me all the teams whose full name doesn't end with an S. That's always the one that I, I would sort of sneak in because I was like, no, they're the Los Angeles Angels of
2: Anaheim. Ah. Uh- but how many are there? Now I'm curious.
4: In, in in baseball it's like none. But other sports like mm-hmm. if you if you count the N, the WNBA it's a whole crap ton. But it's oh, uh yeah. I mean like you have to go to college and find like the Tulane Green Wave and uh the Notre Dame Fighting Irish and in hockey there's uh shoot. There's there's a couple there's a uh, the Minnesota Wild yep. are one, but there's not a ton. And the, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim were, were my favorite one because nobody remembered that part because nobody cares.
2: <laughs> cool story, Chew.
3: <laughs> I'm sorry. Act- Actual cool story. Uh, but I couldn't cool. resist. All there, right, uh, there, was, there was one move that is near and dear to my heart. The, uh, the Mets traded for mm. Eliezer Hernandez. And yes. that's near and dear to my heart because both it's my favorite team and. Eliezer hernandez is a former in the deep favorite who the, the the shine has kind of come off of him and his very elite slider which got less elite and uh it stopped carrying the overall package uh i i think it's funny that the the mets now employ two two members of the 2019 marlins rotations and none of the good ones but uh yeah, I I don't I think this is going to wind up being similar to their acquisition of Jordan Yamamoto a couple of years ago, and Eliezer Hernandez is going to just serve as a depth piece or bullpen piece. As much as I wish he uh, he would regain that incredibly elite unicorn slider that he had and uh, turn into a quality starter again, I, I don't really see it.
4: Yeah, he just had. I mean, he used to throw strikes, then he kind of stopped doing that, and that that makes it hard to be to be a starting pitcher. I. I Part of me, like, part of me wonder. so the Marlins played with him as, like, not being a starter. And I wonder if the Mets are going to keep doing that because they found guys with one pitch and kept them forever, forever. Like Seth Lugo, right? They found a guy with one pitch and just like, all right, you're going to throw that pitch a bazillion percent of the time. And I wonder if they find a way to fix that slider and just tell Eliezer Hernandez to not throw anything else. But, like, they they traded him, like, they made a trade and they, they got two players for Franklin Sanchez. So this is really a organizational depth kind of move. Like when you, when you see these kind of things, like when Eliezer Hernandez, a guy with like a six something ERA and a reliever are traded for a minor league pitcher, like it's hard to get super excited, but uh, you know, in those leagues where like a middle reliever is valuable, there might be something here. If in spring training, that slider's there, like that's how deep, like that's how many ifs you need to get to Eliezer Hernandez relevance, but that's where it is. It's like they, they put him in the pen and he only throws sliders and it's good.
3: Yeah, I, I think he's their sixth starter as things currently
2: stand and they are going to acquire several more. Yeah, he's going to be someone that comes in, makes a spot start here and there, but can do like long relief. Uh, that's all I, I really saw him as uh, as well and kind of in the same boat as Schwab's. I think that they're far from done spending money during this offseason how much money do you think the mets are going to spend this offseason schwebs all of it
3: there is no limit the limit does not exist to to quote my favorite movie
2: let's let's mean girls this yes perfect (laughs) um all right uh i think that's mostly it as far as like interesting stuff to talk about in terms of trades you want to talk about a couple dfas real quick these are more interesting yeah i think these are much cooler so the first one i think which just because I want to get Scott's opinion on it, uh, the most obvious one is Cody Bellinger getting DFA'd by the Dodgers. W- who fixes him? Who who who's going to take on that project? Do you think? Well, first of
4: all, I think we have to really ask ourselves, like, what does a fixed Cody Bellinger even look like anymore? What is yeah. that player, right? Because like, it's not the All Star that that we saw before. It's not that he just isn't yeah. that player anymore. You can't have this many holes in your swing and be that player anymore. I don't know if it's just like a scouting report that got around or what, but every pitcher makes him uncomfortable. Like I, I don't see those at bats where I'm like, oh, Cody, Cody Bellinger's got this to to sort of juxtapose him to someone. Kyle Tucker is in every at bat. He's fighting every at bat. Like you never feel like Kyle Tucker is uh, off balance. You never feel like Kyle Tucker doesn't really. Uh, have a handle on what he's trying to do in an at-bat. And Cody Bellinger could not be more opposite as a left-handed outfielder, right? Like he just, he never, like I I watch him and I just think I'm like, this guy's literally just hoping that someone gives him a meatball and that he can hit it, right? Because I just don't see, I don't see really like any sort of discipline. And when he makes contact, it's terrible. So I start wondering like, what does it look like for him to be good? Who can turn him into a, what? Who can turn him into Jock Peterson? That's really, I think, what we're probably asking. Who can turn him into some version of Jock Peterson that's a platoon bat that can hit for power? right? Can a team do that? I don't know who's going to, but it's not going to be a contender.
2: Yeah, and I think that, to me, when you say who can fix him and what does fix look like, I, to me, I imagine someone hitting like 240, 250 with like 25 homers and 15 stolen bases. That with to it, me would be like, quote, unquote that'd be a
4: lot of running for, for, for him at this stage.
3: He stole 14 this year.
4: Yeah. I mean, you know, the, you know, that's the other interesting thing about stolen bases. And we'll talk about them more later. But stolen bases, like one thing a team will do with a guy who's struggling to hit is that when he does on get, get on base, run. They will send him, right? Oh, like yeah. If you're struggling. Send him Right. Because, I mean, we saw this a lot with like Marcus Simeon. When the bat wasn't going, they're like, well, if you do get on, run. Right. Do something because these players, they want to feel like they're helping their team, Mm -hmm. right? especially when they get a new contract. So they run. And that could be a very interesting way to get back into fantasy relevance is being more of a 20 home run, 15 stolen base guy. Right. Uh, Probably. But I don't even know if it's as a full time player, because if there's a like the Dodgers are the type of team that can absorb letting a guy like him be bad as their number eight hitter and not impact their lineup and they got tired of doing that, right? Like, they, there's, yeah. like, little incentive not to, right, because of all the upside that you would imagine. It, it was pretty clear that the Dodgers didn't see that upside anymore, right? That's why you DFA a guy like this.
3: Just putting it out there, if if he could get back to, like, a, a 250, a 240, 250, 25 home run guy with his defense, that would be, like, a 4-plus win player. Yeah.
4: Like, and, and teams are going to dream on that, but, like, again, there's so many things that, like, it's not even like the same thing is wrong for him all the time. It's just, I mean, it's almost, it's into this very vague territory of he doesn't adjust very quickly. Like, teams find places to attack him and he can't do anything about it for a while. Right. And by the time he figures it out, teams find a new place to attack him because he's, he doesn't have just the one hole, he has several. So it, it's really tough for a player like that to bounce back. I'm not saying he can't because he's shown elite talent. But it's hard to ask a player to do all those things at once.
1: Yeah, I. Uh, I'm, I'm, it's just always, like whenever I see Ballinger, it always just reminds me of Yelich's
2: downturn as well. And as a Burr fan, that also hurts just because remembering their MVP race in twenty wait twenty nineteen.
4: Yeah, at least with yeah. at least with Yelich, like you can point to two things. You can point to injury and the fact that like. His power came from this elite ability to make people pay on the one bad pitch. Like yeah. the guy, the guy, like his home run to fly ball rate would be like 40% or something silly because he only tried to put the ball in the air when he thought it was a, like, when he thought it was a perfect pitch and he got exactly yeah. what he wanted. But that, the margin of error for that is so thin, right? It's yeah. really hard to do that for, for like a long period of time. So now you go back to this Yellich that's like still a good player but you always are dreaming on those like 40, 30 years because it's just really hard to continue that, especially when you're hurt and you throw your back out every time you sneeze. But also when you just, you you can't take advantage of that every single time, especially as you get older, you get more hurt because your hand eye coordination isn't as fast. Your ability to like turn on a ball, especially when your back is an issue becomes more, it becomes more difficult. It's really hard to ask a player to do that. So I know, I know, I know that Cody Bellinger doesn't have the same issues, but he does have a lot of problems, and you need him to fix a lot of them at once to be that good player. I'm surprised he's being drafted as high as he is because it's a dream.
2: Yeah, you're not going to see me reaching as high as people are, are currently reaching for him right now. I think that was also with the idea in mind. Obviously, these ADPs are reflected uh, on the fact that they weren't sure if Bellinger was going to be DFA'd by the Dodgers or not. So I think a lot of people were acting under the assumption that he was still going to be a Dodger, um, which I think has that baked into it at some point. But yeah, I don't know. I am certainly not going to be having many shares of Cody this year. Uh, but I do want to talk about two players that I think are more in our realm in terms of deep league as well when it comes to DFA's. So we have a uh, Jamie Candelario. And then Willie Castro, who are both DFA'd today by the Tigers. So wait, shoot, You you're in Michigan, correct?
4: I, yeah, I'm. I'm a big Tigers guy. Okay, tell you. that's He's what DFA's. I thought. Oh
2: yeah, yeah, because you're the, you're the Akil Badu Truther, the original. Yeah,
4: I yes. always will be. Right, him nice. uh, and Tarek Skuble. and well, Torque is on that on that right now because he never gave up contact. But anyway, you asked about uh, Jammer Candelario and Willie Castro, and the problem is, is that these are th- these are Jags, right? Just a guy. Right, Jamer Candelaria yeah. should not be starting for anybody for 150 games. The Tigers make him because they don't have other people to put at third base. Yep. Right. But he, I mean, he he can hit a little. He's had these streaks where he hits like 270 with a little bit of power for like two or three months at a time, but he's just shown continuously that he cannot do that for a full season. Because again, he doesn't make adjustments very quickly. Pitchers find places to attack him that make him uncomfortable. And Willie Castro is just even worse, right? You might not remember this, but in the same year that Kyle Lewis was uh, the rookie of the year, Willie Castro got votes. He was great in 2020 in this short period of time, because again, you don't, in that 2020 year, the worst thing about it was that you didn't see uh, multiple adjustments. You saw like one up, one down, and one up, or one down, one up, one down, right? That's all you really saw. And players go up and down all the time. Like they call them rolling charts because they're constantly going up and down, It's true for Mike Trout. It's true for every player in the league, right? So in that short season, you only saw a little bit of it. So if Willie, if someone started hot, had an adjustment period and sort of came on a little bit at the end, they looked like they had a great year, right? And and if it went the other way, they looked like they had a terrible year. So Willie Castro takes advantage of this for one year. And then since then, it's nothing because he's just a limited pop, uh, limited speed player who really needs to like get a lot of blue pits in the outfield. To put up batting average and you just can't do that
3: all right so and in in typical pitchless fashion oh my god are we going to go long but just to let, let's wrap up these dfas with a few lightning rounds and the only criteria here is would you want your team to sign these guys or would you can you see yourself adding them in
1: fantasy at some point this year if they're in a good situation luke voigt scott do you care If he starts and hits third or fourth, sure. Ribbies are ribbies, man. Jordan?
2: Pretty much same, but mostly. I mean I mean my my team personally as far as like the Brewers. We have enough beefy boys as it is. I have Rowdy Telez, that's all I need.
3: So if he winds up on, say, the Nationals and plays every day and hits fourth. Scott, you
1: care? There will be times when that is valuable. All right. How about Adam Engel? Eh.
4: Will teams play him more than he's already played? He's already played too much.
3: Scott Angle for me, I, 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 Scott Scott Angle, fantasy analyst. Now. Kurt Angle, Adam Adam Angle, the the fantasy player, uh, baseball player. Uh, he's to me, he's one of those guys that it feels like he should have one good fantasy season in him, but he just like it, it hasn't come out yet. <laughs>
4: It's I mean, like he's this guy that needs a lot of volume to show value and no one wants to give it to him because he's not that
3: good. <laughs> That's fair. Also, he had a really dope top baseball card a couple of years ago of a a, a catch he made jumping at the wall. And I, I can never shake that. It's burned into my head. It's such a cool looking card. Uh, All right. Brian Anderson. Can he recover what made him fantasy relevant a couple of years ago?
4: What made him relevant was batting third for the Marlins.
3: Crazy. And.
4: Uh, I mean, again, it's the Luke Voigt thing. Anyone who bats third or fourth for a team every day can create value, even if they don't have power, because they get ribbies, because someone will be on base accidentally. He needs to be in a prime lineup position or he's not valuable.
3: Man, I used to love in my NL only league getting Brian Anderson for a buck and just profiting when he was actually playing every day.
1: Uh Jordan, Brian Anderson, do you care? That does sound like just I'm sucking up to our guests, but pretty much just
2: exactly what Scott said. Uh, It's a lot of what we preach on, like why we pick up people off the waiver wire in the offseason, right? Or or, or during the season, I should say, right? Like we always talk about like opportunity, uh, what kind of like offensive makeup the team has that they're going to be playing for. And then what was the other one that we do? We have three O's. We had a saying for this and I've completely forgotten. It's (laughs) playing time, production, potential. Oh, the three P's. There we go great uh yes so yeah just pretty much what scott said
4: if you have the first two Ps, you don't need the third right if you have playing time and you're in a great position like you don't need the potential because you'll get 70 ribs by just playing every freaking day because that means you need one like every third game
3: so it usually uh in in our case Because a a lot of times when you're targeting deep league players, there's no promise for them being in the lineup tomorrow, even if they've been in the lineup the last week. You know, because a lot of guys come into their playing time through injuries and whatnot. So potential is usually, you know, rest of season outlook. So with Brian Anderson, it's like, is he going to get playing time this year? You know, and that's our question right now, wherever he winds up. So last one. This one makes me sad. A, uh, A a troll Mets account today uh pointed out the statistic that dominic smith has more dfas this year than home runs uh do either of you guys care about dominic smith winding up in a uh, in a better spot
2: no i mean i wish him well (laughs) (laughs) i'm not i'm not gonna say that i'm that i want the man to just fail i i i i don't I don't foresee him finding an opportunity where he's going to play enough to make that much of an impact. He's really going to have to fight and win. Kind of like we talked about like literally everyone else here. Wait, it is the three O's. It's not the P's. It's the O's. It's opportunity, uh, which is (laughs) the offense or sorry. The opportunity is like how good you are on defense. So if you're getting time in the field, you're going to get at bats offense. And then where are you in the order?
3: I, I literally, I actually went through the notes earlier to find it. I've definitely typed out three Ps before. Maybe it, oh. maybe it evolved over time. We have but, the three uh,
2: Ps and the three Os.
3: We, uh, we, we had a a Phillies fan in the pitcherless Discord say earlier that they want to see the Phillies trade Reese Hoskins and sign uh, Dominic Smith. And as a Phillies hater, I very much wish they do. They would do that. I hope so. I hope that happens.
1: <laughs> you
3: have to want, cram.
4: For for Dominic Smith, you have to take his two best seasons, cram them together to get one fantasy relevant season,
3: and that's right? only I mean, like 400 plate appearances.
4: Yeah, that I mean, it really it's actually just short, right? And 21 home runs, which is great. I mean, the the rate, like the rates were all awesome, but like you have to cram them both together, and then he got a full season, and
1: it looked it was the same stat line with a couple more runs and ribs. It, it's just it's not that exciting. Me, I mean, give me Vogelbach, right? At least Vogelbach would give you a loud tool. Yeah,
2: I love Vogelbach I so love my much. barrel man. A, a great, a great Bofo right there. Brewer's old friend
3: alert. We always oh, love I, those. I like that Jordan. So Jordan's a Brewer's fan. I'm a Vets fan. I like that we have matching barrel
1: men now. Oh, yeah, that's true. We do. That's actually very nice. Oh, huh. uh, OK, wait, I wanted to circle back to something.
2: I was going to try to make a segue before. You were. Oh, that's what it was, Ha. This is a very natural way to uh, move on to the next subject in this podcast. <laughs> no, but you were talking about rolling charts when you were talking about Willie Castro before, right? Uh, Scott, you are the foremost expert in the fantasy baseball community when it comes to rolling charts. Um, so every time we bring up,
3: or at least every time I bring up a rolling chart on this podcast, I, I always name drop you, Scott.
4: I love them so much. They're They're yeah. a deep passion of mine. And it's because of how good of a narrative tool they are. We, again, I talked earlier, we are... We love, humans love creating narratives. We love trying to understand why things happen. We're also really bad at it. Uh, Very naturally, we're terrible at doing this because we focus on like a single thing. You know, not helpful a season-long batting average is for anything except deciding the batting title, right? Like it just doesn't tell you, it tells you sort of what happened, but it just doesn't give you a lot of stories. So when you see the rolling chart, you see the adjustments. Baseball is a game of adjustments. And the reason you know that is because you can see that Nobody, like we talk about, oh, so-and-so is consistent, but like nobody, even Chris Davis and his back-to-back-to-back-back 247 seasons, right? Like he, he he only bat 247 on like a few days a year, right? Like mostly the last one, right? He just happened to be batting 247 on the last day of that year, but it's random, right? It's very random because we see players go up and down and there's a couple, like, the most popular one is usually the one on StatCast, which is like expected where right? You see these like rolling charts and you, it, it feels like a very, very telling thing. And it is. And I have, a, you know, I have two of them that I want to talk about. But even just looking at things like strikeout rate, looking at a player's strikeout rate doesn't really tell you a lot about what happened. Because if you have a great first half for strikeout rate and a, a terrible second half for strikeout rate, it matches together and you get this average strikeout rate. And you think, oh, he only strikes out an average amount of time. No, it, he got much, much worse. Right. I mean, first one I talk about is Vaughn Grissom, who started out with a pretty decent strikeout rate. And as the season went, it just kept getting worse. That season end number you see is sort of in the middle of it all. But when you look at that rolling chart and strikeout rates are a good one because you don't need a huge plate, you don't need a huge plate appearance sample to have something that's really useful. That stat becomes somewhat meaningful even at 50 plate appearances. And strikeout rate's a very intuitive thing, right? When it's yeah. high, it's bad. When it's low, it's good. Uh, and it's you know, there's a couple stats that are pretty easy to correlate to it. And when you see Vaughn Grissom, basically as he stayed in the league, pitchers got better at striking him out, right? That's not good because you also see his production go the opposite direction, right? His strikeout rate goes up, the production comes down, you watch it and you're like, oh wow. As time went on, you get, the, the beauty of that rolling chart is it bakes sample size into what you see, right? Because you create a sample size with every point on the chart. Every point isn't one day, it's Fifty at bats, or fifteen games, or whatever it is, right? So when you see Von Grissom, you're like, man, as he goes, that rolling number just keeps getting higher. So you don't, you're no longer concerned. Like the fact that he had a great strikeout rate his first fifty plate appearances isn't that useful to me when I'm looking at like a hundred plate appearances later, right? Um, I'm making yeah. up numbers there, but I, I just don't care about how good it was then because it just kept getting worse, right? So I love the rolling chart because it tells you a direction. Is it predictive? No, but it's extremely descriptive of what we're seeing, right? I mean, just like X stats, we look at expected stats, they're not predictive, but they're extremely descriptive. And so are rolling charts, right? They tell us how, what happened and how it happened throughout the season. For example, Taylor Ward, right? Uh, he, his his expected weight on base kept keeps going up. And every time he has this little dip, that dip, as it goes down, that adjustment period, that where he bottoms out keeps getting higher and higher and higher until the injury. You can even time it out. If you if you follow the chart on other fan graphs or on Statcast. you can see the dates. Where does it dip? Right after he gets hurt, right? That's where he has the bad yeah. dip. And what's it do after that? It just keeps going back up because the guy makes adjustments really quickly. Those are the kinds of things I really like to see, right? You want to talk about one that really concerned me? It's Alejandro Kirk. Those final numbers look real good. Go look at that rolling chart. It's a flat line, except for this big spike in the middle for about a month. Right. That's it. His, he, he does all of his production in about a month. Right. The rest of it is just empty batting average, right? It's just really, and projections don't do a great job grabbing this because they look at that final number, that final slugging number. He slugged below that for most of the season, except for one month where he was awesome. Yeah. That's, That's a really hard thing to pull out of like month to month data because month end dates are random, right? Month end dates have nothing to do with baseball, right? The day July ends doesn't mean anything.
2: Incredibly arbitrary.
4: Yeah. So you instead, you look at things like plate appearances, which means something, right? You don't have samples of X number of days. You have samples of plate appearances and games, right? So when you look at Alejandro Kirk, you see like league average in terms of like Woba, Woba isn't a fantasy stat though. So it's like a great batting average and a below average slug for the entire season, except for this one period of, I mean, at best, it's like six weeks, right? And then it just goes right back to looking like Alejandro, like it goes right back to looking the same, this little barely moving squiggly line along the league average, right? It's this really, it's this thing that is really hard to remember because when you look at only the season ending stat, it baked in all of that power and yeah that power is great but like he was not helpful to fantasy teams all that much unless you're in very deep like two catcher leagues for really the last two months of the season but he's going off the board like people like him as like a like a borderline top 5 catcher because they what are you hoping that he spikes again for 6 weeks because that's what you need to happen right or you think that there, there's a true talent in there but if you're going to build a narrative on Alejandro Kirk you need, to, you need to bake in the fact that that power came in a short amount of time and never came back. You can't tell that story without the rolling chart. That's what the rolling chart is helping you to understand. You can believe there's more power there, but it, you at least need to be able to reconcile
1: the fact that you only saw it for a short period of time. This man loves rolling charts, <laughs> and I
2: love it.
4: <laughs> but, but there's other, I mean there's others that are really good. So... Uh, Another one I really like is Stephen Kwan, the slugging, right? If there's one tool besides power that turns into power, it's hit, right? Guys with a high hit tool can turn it into more power. Jake Cronenworth's a good example of this. He has a great hit tool and like not much else. And he turned it into like 20 home run power Mm -hmm. once in a while. Because if you, I mean, hitting for power is a lot more about timing and plate recognition than it is about being really strong, right? Otherwise, Willie Mopena would have hit a bazillion home runs, but he didn't, Right. Because he wasn't that good at plate rec- or pitch recognition, he wasn't that good at plate discipline. Because the hit tool wasn't there. But Stephen Kwan has it, and so he doesn't slug very high. But towards the end of the season, you start seeing these little spikes, and he goes up, and then as it comes down, it stops earlier. It's hard to do this because this is not—I mean, this is a very visual medium, as we've talked about. But when you watch these rolling charts, watch those floors, right? Like when you look at slu- you know what's his rolling slugging, and you're looking at 15 games or 50 plate appearances or whatever it is. Watch those floors. And if those floors keep getting higher, right, he's he's making that adjustment earlier and earlier and then rising higher and higher. That's exactly what you want to see. Good example of this was Fernando Tatis, especially early in his career. Every time he bottomed out, it was better than when he had bottomed out the previous time, right? The floor kept getting better and the ceiling kept getting higher, right? That's the exact thing you want to see. That's what I saw with Stephen Kwan's slug. And because of that I do think there's a 12 to 15 home run hitter there right that's what I want that like because he's also going to hit like 300 he's a batting title winner right so by by doing that and watching that slug, you can try again not predictive but at least you can see growth instead of just like did he
1: hit good this week what about next week Yeah uh, Scott Scott is the the rolling chart expert.
3: I did have one that I wanted to call because out because it's, it's amazing
4: because it's amazing. Go, go, please go.
3: <laughs> yeah. My, my, my one guy, my contribution to this is O'Neill Cruz because yes. what what's our, what's everyone's one big concern with O'Neill Cruz? It's the they long, too much. What? It's, the strikes, it's the strikeouts. Thank you crowd. Uh, if you look at his rolling charts towards the end of the season, he started making some gains in plate discipline his final like 75 ish plate appearances he made big gains in walks he made and he had a huge drop in strikeouts which if you're on the fence should you know help nudge you to decide to uh, bump up his uh, draft position a little bit because he you know he is the most unique talent in baseball short of Shohei Otani so I you know bank on the tools and the growth that we saw the rolling charts show the growth that we saw towards the end of the season for him you know there's still his the, the the 75 plate appearances that i'm talking about are only his you know 300 through 375th plate appearances in the majors so you know this is solid growth to see from a player with a, a, the ceiling doesn't exist there so first of all he is
4: the hardest hitter fastest runner and hardest thrower right like you're going to look at, if you want to get excited about someone, it's that guy, right? I actually tweeted this a little while ago because I was actually listening to um, uh, Bubba in the Bloom, that podcast while I was at First Pitch Arizona live. And I like actively subtweeted them because they were talking about O'Neill Cruz's strikeout rate. And I had to point out that over his last 48 plate appearances, it was a 12 and a half percent strikeout rate and a 12 and a half percent walk rate. Like it's really hard, but like no one would guess that he had a moment, a 48 plate appearance moment, which is meaningful that he had an even strikeout to walk. O'Neill Cruz, honestly, got an even strikeout to walk ratio in that time and also stole four bases, right? The power went away a little bit and that happens, right? He's making adjustments. He's trying to understand the strike zone better, right? He's laying off pitches that he know he can put pain on because he's trying to understand the strike zone, right? On a Pirates team that doesn't really matter if they win or lose, right? Players are always trying to win, but he's yeah. trying to grow as a player. We saw it. It happened. It's amazing. Like, that's what we want to see. We want to see 151 WRC plus for your last 48 plate appearances because you controlled the strike zone amazingly because once you get a better idea of it and can start swinging the bat like we know you can, my God, the guy can hit the ball 200 miles an hour.
1: Yeah, I'm
3: I'm big on O'Neill Cruz and seeing his growth across the season has just made me more of a fan. I traded him away in a dynasty league that I was in win now mode. And uh, Taylor, Taylor Ward was actually one of the uh, players that I got back in that trade. And I'm just, I'm kicking myself. I can't believe I did that because he, he would have helped me win now too. What's the matter with me? But so something that, uh, I did recently with Scott, we had our pitchless mock draft. Uh, Jordan mentioned it earlier. Yes. And I was excited to bring this up and, and talk with Scott about his late round picks, but this is a hitter episode. And Scott went and ruined that by taking like, was like six out of seven pitchers in in the late round, but there was one player that I wanted to have him talk about, and that was his 17th round pick. A few a few picks after I took Lars nukbar who I love so much, he oh. took uh, Josh Young.
4: Yeah, so we just were talking about strikeouts, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try to defend the strikeout rate that much, right? It was really bad with Josh Young, but uh with Josh Young, the the thing is, one, we didn't even think he'd play this year, right? Uh, he was hurt. He was hurt. I mean, he had surgery. I mean, it was a big deal. So there was that, but also, um, he was, he was a guy that like, we were so high on you. We watch him for, I mean, a hundred plate appearances and all of a sudden everyone just thinks he's no good, right? The guy gets a hundred plate appearances. Nobody cares about growth, right? Uh, let's talk. We were just talking about a rolling chart. Let's talk about a rolling chart. I hope you guys looked at this cause I put it in the show notes right before we went on. Look at the strikeout rate no yeah. O-swing. What does it do? The entire time he's in the league, it gets better. His O-swing gets better and better and better and better. And his strikeout rate gets better and better and better as he goes. It starts terrible, but it keeps getting better. What do I want to see from a player when they get in the league? Adjustment. I want to see them improve. Some guys come in hot, and that's great. But they're not all Julio Rodriguez. I want to see them get better. The frustrating thing about Jared Kelenic is that when he got in the majors, he wasn't getting better, right? He'd be great in AAA, come up to the majors and be the same guy he'd been the last time he was in the majors, right? He was improving. But that's not what we saw with Josh Young. We saw him get better and better and better. The final line doesn't show it, right? But the thing you want him to do is strike out less and make more contact. How do you do that? You stop swinging at pitches outside the zone because you can't do anything with those. And he does. It's exactly what he does. He gets better and better and better. Yes, he's coming from a place where it was really bad. He was swinging everything, right? but you want him to get better and he does. It's exactly what you want to see. And yet he's getting dragged for not doing it right because they're only looking at the final number and it drives me nuts. I think there's a lot of potential in this bat. There's a ton of power. Uh, The hit tool is better than what we saw, right? We know that because it's, it's pedigree, right? we know he's better than that. And he showed that he just needs time to adjust and who can, like, I think the Rangers can give him that. I think he can definitely be a great corner infielder, He's going to be a guy that's pushed down because again, people are going to say, oh, he struck out so much, but you can sit there knowing that he, what he was getting better and there's no reason he can't continue to get better. He's practicing it right now. We just don't get to see it. Right? Like the reason we say that all the like biggest changes happen over the off season, because we don't watch it every day. We don't watch the trickle of skill development. Right? It just happens when we see them again in spring. Right. that's not really how it works. It's happening right now, and we know he has the skill to get it better, and he was, so why aren't more people excited about this?
3: I do have to point out that Scott is a fellow Newt Bar fan, and he has Lars Newt Bar a few uh, spots ahead of Josh Young in his rankings. Uh, I'm contractually obligated to mention Newt in every podcast for the entire offseason. I may have written that into my own contract in crayon, but it's in there.
4: Yeah, that's that's totally legal. Do yeah, you again, have a contract? Him, those are amazing. Those are amazing plate skills that Lars Nootbaar has shown. I right? and the Cardinals have shown a willingness to bat him leadoff, right? And Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt are still there. Last I checked, right? So, do I want a leadoff hitter who knows how to get on base at an extremely high clip in front of Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt? Yes, I do. You know, a hard stat to find on the waiver wire runs. You know why? Because Guys who hit leadoff are good and they're usually rostered, right? Like there's not just number one hitters floating around everywhere that it can actually hit. Lars Newbar is going to be a guy who could bet leadoff for a team that competes every single year. And like, again, people are going to be, oh, well, you know, he had these cold spells. I don't care because I know what that potential is. And I'm not paying top dollar for it, right? I'm not, I'm not having to invest super early round picks. I can do it late for a guy who, again, could be an OBP machine with a ton of runs scored and who has pop and speed. He has all these tools and like, he just, yes, he had rough patches because every player has them, right? Like that's fine. That's fine. Did he make adjustments? He absolutely did. He starts to come on again at the end of the season. That's what I want to see. That's what he did. It, it was a beautiful thing. And I think that he's going to be uh he's going to be a pick that I think is going to gain more and more momentum as we get closer to the season. Cause people are going to
1: remember like, Oh yeah, he's a good leadoff hitter on a team that can score runs. Yeah, I mean, prime lineup spot. Something that we always love, obviously. Newt, Newt. Newt, Newt.
2: I mean, yeah, we, we're going to, I mean, we're going to, what is it, like five minutes you're going to dedicate? Is that what you're, con- I, also, I, I straight up did not know you had a contract. Are you it's, also getting
3: My entire contract is just written on a paper. I have to talk about Lars Newbar every episode. There's no other,
2: there's nothing else on there. Insert warmers I am 12 meme here. <laughs> All right, Scott, so you obviously write the hitter list, too. Uh, We want to ask you, you have some hitters on that list that some that we feel like you're pretty high on. And then some that you're kind of low on, I guess, in comparison to what our perspective is on the situation. So let's start with the ones that you're high on. Maybe we can do like a little sandwich type deal where we alternate between back and forth. Uh, Let's start with Christian Walker, who I think you dedicated a decent amount of time to on uh, your last episode of Hacks and Jacks.
4: I've dedicated a lot of time to him on a lot of episodes, uh, because he he especially early in the season, was this expected batting average thing where everyone's like, Oh, the batting average has got to get better. There's a huge gap. And I had to talk about the fact that the batted like the the hitting environment had changed and expected batting average it takes a long time to adjust to that because of the way that mm-hmm. stat is calculated, but also because of his batted ball profile, which is extremely fly ball heavy. It's hard to hit for a high batting average when you hit a lot of fly balls. You just don't, yeah. because if you don't hit it out of the park, it lands in the glove. But uh, he did make really big improvements to his plate discipline. Walked more, struck out less. Really liked that. Uh, you know, I, I could talk about the shift, but I just don't think that's going to be that big of a deal, especially for a right-handed hitter like him. But I think that you know he he's in a on a team that has a young and improving supporting cast with Corbin Carroll uh, and, and the other outfielders that are coming up there. Jake McCarthy coming out. Uh, he finished as the thirty second best hitter last season right? So it's weird to me that people just like don't think he's going to be good when he showed a lot of things that are sticky, improved walk rates, improved strikeout rates. Can that collapse? Yes. But uh, I think that he can be, he can lose a little bit in those and still be a very good hitter, a top 60 hitter.
3: I love, I love Walker. I took him in the mock draft. I'm I'm a big fan. Like he, there is a cliff in, in like first base production in drafts and Uh, It's like around like Walker and Hoskins is when it starts getting pretty grim. So uh, Walker is a, I I love uh, targeting him in like the, the eighth or ninth or
2: you, you have him even higher than that.
4: It gets real ugly, real fast.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I was someone, someone who was on Christian Walker, very heavily going into, I think the 2021. No, sorry. Yeah. The 2021 season, his rookie year was dope. His rookie year was awesome. 2021. i remember right much 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 less so uh so i was very disappointed and then i swore off christian walker for the rest of my fantasy baseball career and then it was then that he made those adjustments and was able to up that walk rate and bring down that k rate and have what was really genuinely an awesome year um but i guess i am now back on the train finally is what i'm saying but uh okay let's go to someone that you're low on now how about mj melendez here
4: So we say low, the fact that I consider him a draftable catcher in 12-team leagues means I think he's probably pretty good, right? Because there's not that many. I mean, the catching class is getting a lot deeper and he leads off. I can't think of another catcher off the top of my head that leads off regularly, right? Sure, it's for the Royals, but he doesn't. That matters because it's volume because he's an outfield guy. So so that matters. But really, I think what we're seeing is the difference between two catcher leagues and not two catcher leagues, right? MJ Melendez is an awesome pick in two catcher leagues because he plays a ton. And in single catcher leagues, there's some question about how consistent that bat will be and the volume matters less because you can stream catcher to get volume and you can't do that in two catcher. leagues. So he's really going to be a format guy where in two catcher leagues, he goes way up in single catcher leagues. He maybe might sit around for a little while longer because he's not going to put up outstanding stats. He just gets a lot of volume, which again, is hard to find at catcher, just not as exciting
1: either. Excellent. Yeah uh Schwebze, did you have anything to say about mj you looked like you were going to say
2: something uh Mel- melendez i i want to him
3: i want him to be better than he was and like he i mean if you follow minor league baseball at all you're aware of the absolutely obscene numbers that melendez put up two years ago and we you know we all want that to translate but will it yeah like if he could if he could do eighty percent of what he did in the minors, he'd be like the best fantasy catcher in baseball. But I, I, you know, it's it's much harder to hit forty plus home runs in the majors than it is in the minors. So I I, I like him as a, an upside play. And again, yeah, in two catchers, the the math changes quite a bit. But yeah, uh, I'd I probably I I would definitely like he's he's in the top twelve comfortably. Like. I would, I would definitely like want him start, like, like he should be rostered in a hundred percent of leagues, but as, as for ADP. Yeah. I I, I think there's a, I think there's probably going to be a wide range of where he gets drafted based on where, how many, you know, catchers get drafted in your, your specific draft
2: early on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, all right, let's go back to the good side of things. Let's talk about Brandon Drury real quick here. Uh, you had Matt. 55 on the hitter list and he's going currently 182 overall
1: yeah I
4: really want to defend this by saying like oh he plays a lot of positions and things like that quite frankly he was a more consistent player than you might remember especially if you look at rolling charts and expected world and stuff like that projections don't like him a lot uh, i think the biggest thing i get out of it is i
1: can draft him later than i thought i did heck yeah awesome uh Okay, back to, oh, and this is one that's going to
2: pain Schwebzy. Oof. I do know this. So going back to the uh, players you're low on, uh, you have Brian Hayes post 150 on the hitter list, and he's going 148 overall currently. Why?
4: Why? <laughs> he wasn't good. He slugged 347 last season and played the whole darn time. Right? Like, sl- that's, a, that's an okay OBP, guys. Like 347 is an okay OBP and that's what Cabrian Hayes slugged, right? Like the steals are great and whatever, but, and he's got an amazing glove, but he finished as like a, like outside the top 200 players and the power just wasn't there. And until I see it, I just don't
2: care. Did he have the wrist injury this year? Am I remembering this correctly? That was, that was two years ago. Two years ago. And he oh, hit for power yeah. then.
3: <laughs> yeah. You're not wrong. I'm, I'm simply, For some reason I'm I thought simply he had begging it. i'm begging you to hit a fly ball cabrian hayes <laughs>
2: uh that one hurts Schwebze. it really does
3: I'm i want
1: him to be deep so badly
2: but uh all right let's go back to the good side of things this one will make schwebzy happy though this is this is a make schwebzy feel better pick uh jeff mcneil you have him at 74 on the hitter list and he's 214 overall in adp right now
4: yeah batting average ain't that sexy that's what that is Uh, rate stats are harder to conceptualize as being awesome in some ways than counting stats. Cause like in counting stats, you're just, I mean, it's always apples to apples, but it's hard to conceptualize the impact on your, on your Roto standings of a 318 batting average versus like a 280 versus a 260, right? Like, you know, it's a lot of points there, but like batting averages in Roto don't change as much as you might like. And it's harder to track how much they will change. Right. Like, how much does a 318 batting average impact a team with a 260 overall batting average? What happens? Harder to imagine than, like, what do you do when you add 80 runs scored? Well, you add 80 runs scored, right? Like, that's all that happens. So it's harder to do that. But Jeff McNeil absolutely finished as a a high-value player in fantasy in every format because he puts the bat on the ball a lot. He doesn't have to hit 20 home runs like he did uh, a couple years ago. He just needs to put the ball in play a ton because he makes good contact. He knows how to drop it right behind the infield in front of the outfield, and that's great. That's all you got to do because being on base is a really good thing. He's not only valuable in points leagues. He's valuable everywhere because he hits near the top of the order and is constantly on base. Run score or a stat, right? And the way yeah. you get it is by doing what Jeff McNeil does.
3: He is, a, he is such a good baseball player like he's one of those guys like he's he's like and the Mets had another one in in Nimo, who possible former Met which makes me incredibly sad they have they have a couple of these guys who are like much better baseball players than fantasy assets but man Jeff McNeil is just so good at baseball and what that means is he's going to be on the field in the lineup in various positions all the time he's like he's like a better version of the kind of player we talk about a lot where the the glove the the baseball smarts that that stuff is going to keep him on the field in the lineup in good lineup spots every day so he you know it's it's, it's a better version of oh god I'm 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 blanking there there was a player last year who was who was exactly like this I'm, I'm blanking let's move on
4: I mean the one we talk about Luis Arias a lot and every time you talk about Luis Arias you should talk about Jeff McNeil because they're giving you very similar value, but we talk mm-hmm. about Arias more for reasons unbeknownst to me.
3: I'm finding myself gravitating strongly towards players who just put the bat on the ball, whether it's power hitters who have abnormally low strikeout rates or you know, just very good contact hitters like Jeff McNeil. As the league, you know, strikeout rates are only going up. Maybe they're finally going to plateau, but they've been going up over time. And I think, you know, a-, a market inefficiency is just not jumping on these guys as aggressively enough that have these really strong bats of ball skills.
4: Louis, uh, Jeff McNeil finished slightly higher than Luis Arias last season uh, on a lot of player raiders, right? He was, he was better than a lot of players you wouldn't think he would be. Right. Get, get uh, Rack the rias Yeah, like it's easy to think of the value of oh, John Birdie steals a ton of bases, but like he was, he's just like a very at, like he's pretty average. Second base isn't very deep, and Jeff McNeil finishes the seventh best one last season.
1: Plus multi positional eligibility.
0: What else do you want?
1: It slices. It dices. <laughs> it hits for average. Uh,
3: (laughs) God, we made, we made me sad earlier with Cabrian Hayes. Let's make Scott sad now.
2: Yay. Oh, wait.
3: Sorry. No, I mean, no.
2: (laughs) So
4: here's the thing about Javier Baez. Uh, everybody wanted him to have better plate discipline. Like, oh, if he had better plate discipline, things would be better. But that means they like that means you weren't really watching Javier Baez because Javier Baez's talent was hitting the ball really really hard whenever he could get the bat on it. It did not matter where it was in the zone. If he put the bat on the ball, it went really fast, right in the other direction. That's what he was able to do. He can't do that anymore. The power is not there, particularly in game, right? So yeah, the the better plate discipline is cool and it's slightly better batting average, but it doesn't come with anything else. It's just less good. It's it's yeah. fine. It's what everyone's been asking for, because, but it's not what you wanted because it wasn't playing into Javier his strength, which is being a hand-eye coordination god who can absolutely sting the ball if he puts a bat on it, right? Yeah, that's why he swung at everything because he knew that if he got the bat on it, it would go a long way, right? Which again, you can complain about that all you want, but the thing about it was it meant that he was going to have a short shelf life. Eventually, the hand-eye coordination doesn't get as good. He has to play with the strike zone more. He has to understand the zone more, which he does. And it means he can't turn on so many pitches. And that's what you're seeing. So it's hard to get that excited about what he can bring to the table because he's not that guy. He's not that explosive bat anymore.
3: So you do not see a rebound incoming.
4: No, I mean, I think he will be fine. So during the season, a lot, I would get excited about Javier Baez because what used to happen is you'd look at the strikeout rate and it would come way down. You're like, here it comes. Here comes that outburst of you saw when he was a Met, right? These like week, the two three week periods where he's the whole friggin' offense. He can just he's bombing doubles and home runs all over the place. He's swiping bags. He's doing these amazing things. And then it would go away for a while. But when it came back, like when it when it was on, it was hot. It was awesome, right? He doesn't have that ceiling anymore. So now he's just this muddly middle kind of guy, right? You just don't see that power potential there anymore. And without it, what what's to get excited about?
3: Uh, I hated hated watching javier baez as as a met and there was like a two or three week stretch i almost said reek and that was actually appropriate uh where there was like a two or three week stretch where he just obliterated like the nationals and the marlins and i tweeted out at the time like he's gonna parlay this hot streak into like such a big contract and it has unfortunately played out exactly like that
4: He's still like so he's still exciting in some ways like he's he's this classic shortstop who makes great plays and also a crap ton of errors because he tries to make a lot of plays he can't make right he was always like that in the box too he was trying to make hits he couldn't always make but when he did, my God did the ball go far right and did he you know line drive doubles all kinds of great things he just doesn't have that ceiling anymore and without it it's going to be really hard
1: to offset those cold streaks it, he just can't do that anymore. So, we've, we've got one last player who you are low on, who
3: is, I think, a, a pretty divisive player this draft season. Adam, Adam Howe has explained it to me as he is this year's Bobby Witt Jr. What do you think about Corbin Carroll?
4: So, I was too low on Carroll. Um, but I will say, in my defense, when you only start 36 outfielders, like Corbin Carroll, like, you don't have to take a risk. Right. I, I do like that he got better as the season went on. That's great. Right. He he the rolling charts show you good things about Corbin Carroll. Uh, but you know, it it's gonna really depend on how much he's gonna be a guy where ADP matters a lot because you need to know how high everyone else is on him. And it's gonna keep creeping up because he's young, he's a top prospect, he's a guy that people will be excited about. Um, we had a lot of prospects hit last year, and I I sort of worry that they're gonna people are gonna carry that in. We saw this a lot in like 2019, too, where a bunch of prospects, they all hit. And then you went to 2020 and they didn't, right? Uh, I'm a little worried about that where prospects get pushed up too high because people expect them all to hit and they don't, right? Like Bobby Witt Jr. and Julio Rodriguez and all those guys, they all hit, right? Michael Harris Jr., everybody hit. It's not going to happen. I'm not saying Corbin Carroll won't hit. I think he probably will. But I'm very curious to see where that ADP sort of ends up. And it doesn't affect how much I like him as much as it does how much I'll be able to
1: roster. him. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be willing to reach this high, like you said, for some of these young dudes. Um, I, I have such a hard time with this.
2: I'm, I'm never going to, be I, I very much, to reach that high during draft season. I know, and I just I, I, I get caught between wanting to be like a very frugal drafter and also wanting the shiny new toy. I I, I don't know. I'm very torn between like being the high risk because it feels like all these picks, all these young guys, like they have like an OK to very good first little uh debut. And then. I, I really want to take the high risk and flashy pick and take one of them and be able to like say like, oh, yeah, I planted my flag early, blah, 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 so on and so forth i feel like every time i do it it burns me though so yeah pick what is it pick adp of 60 has that gone up since we actually pulled these numbers oh fun fun, fun fact about
3: that number i uh, i i it was in the 60s last time i looked and i did not check again when i wrote that down so that 60 is purely me going i don't know he's probably around 60 right now
2: got it
4: it's gonna keep going up and again he doesn't have but he also doesn't have that like loud tool thing that like Julio Rodriguez and Bobby Witt Jr. can put up like thirty of a stat. I just don't see that with Corbin Carroll next season.
1: I he's don't see him putting up thirty first. home
4: runs or or thirty steals.
1: He's
2: ranked sixty first. Boom. So not far off Schwab's. That was pretty good actually. He's you, you need
4: a lot of like things him. to go right, but he doesn't have yeah. the same problem as like a Wander Franco, who I'm not sure can do twenty of anything. So uh, he's he's in a higher tier than that. But you know, I think it's a safe floor. But again. You're asking, a, you're asking him to be a lot. You, you need him to hit at that, at that point.
2: Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Okay. So the last thing that we want to kind of go through here is something that we're going to be doing during the offseason here, Scott, is we are going in 50 pick sections uh further down the draft board as the closer we get to like draft season so we're looking at adps right now last week we did i think two or last episode i should say we did 250 to 299 so this week we're gonna do 300 to 349 so we asked you to pick a player out of this group obviously uh we're gonna put you on a little sandwich i'm gonna have schwabzy go first and then i'm gonna finish it and you're gonna go in the middle sound good you bet perfect okay cool so Schwebzi, out of the three hundred to three forty nine range for current ADP and NFBC, which player is the one that you find the most interesting? This is a really fun
3: range. Like there, there's yeah. a lot of fun players here. Like I know, I know Scott also likes Miguel Vargas. Um, there's Ross Stripling, who you really like. There, there's a lot of fun uh, names in this range. Oh, oh, you're uh, de- you're more more mid on him after uh, our talk earlier. After you did some more uh, research. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. I mean, Eh. you know, there's, there's Justin Steele who had a fantastic second half. There's Dre Jameson, Brian Bayo, lots of fun names here. But the one that I went with is someone I I took in the pitcherless mock draft in round 20 and Nick questioned it. And I I had to, I had to set him straight because I, I'm going to talk about Isaac Paredes, who uh, Scott is familiar with also, because uh, it's a former Tigers prospect who was traded to the Rays. I love Paredes this off season especially if this is his ADP going forward. At the moment he's at 341. And one of the reasons I like him so much is because power is not super easy to come by right now, which is also why I like Christian Walker so much. And if the league-wide trend of power declining continues or even if it just stays at this current level, having a 300 plus ADP bat that gets a bunch of plate appearances and dingers is going to be gold. We we talk about our 3Ps or our 3Os or whatever. And when it comes to playing time, I strongly believe that Paredes is going to be the guy that comes out ahead of this kind of position logjam that the Rays have going on right now. A healthy Rays team has Brandon, Lowe, La- Brandon Lau at second base, Juan DeFranco at shortstop, and Yandi Diaz at either first or third, or or DH. And I, I think Paredes is the best option for third base because of his strong defense, like the competition that he has at third base is like Jonathan Aranda, who's a, a butcher in the field, good bat though, and Taylor Walls, who is a fantastic glove, terrible bat. I don't see Paredes losing to those guys just because he can do, he can, you know, he can produce in all facets of the game uh, other than, you know, base running. Uh, He's, he actually had an, uh, a positive OAA at, three different infield positions last year at third second and first he also brings elite plate uh plate discipline to uh to play he was 94th percentile in chase rate 90th percentile in whiff rate which obviously led to a stellar walk rate and uh, so combining the playing time the power the little things that keep you on the field now with the rays he no one's going to get 700 plate appearances except maybe wander franco so there he's going to get days off more days off than you want probably but i do think he's going to get the lion's share of those third base plate appearances and he had, as soon as he got traded to the rays he adopted an approach that was hunting pitches like middle in and up And just deposited them into the left field bleachers. Now, for potential going forward, is there more here? I don't really think so, because he seems to be like he seems to have to choose between putting the bat on the ball or putting a charge into the ball. Now, Scott can speak to this a little bit. He came up as a prospect, as a hit first guy, and when he was a Tiger, he was he was a hit first guy when he first came up but i i the i don't know if this was a personal choice or if the rays coached him into hunting for balls he can pull in the air but now he has a very pop up and fly ball approach to the pull side and it's you know it means i think that the dingers aren't going to go away but i do think that the low batting average is also kind of going to stay where it is maybe there's a possibility that some adjustments can be made to kind of combine the new approach with the old skills. But either way, I, I'm a fan of what he's doing, and we love that multi-position eligibility where he can get both middle infield and corner infield. Uh, Scott, before you talk about your player, do you have any thoughts on Paredes as a I, former Tigers farmhand? I,
4: I love Isak Paredes. So like it's you Isak. mentioned, yeah, so he... He Yeah, there's no reason it should be that, but it is. But what I love about Paredes is, again, we know he has the hit tool, right? And we're talking about how he's, he's sort of been trading between the two, but the guy's 23 years old, right? I'd rather take a guy who I know has the hit tool and has shown the power and find a way to put them together than a guy who's never done one of the two, right? He's shown he has a hit tool. He... When he was playing in triple A with like Torque and Riley Green, he was just as good as they were in the minors. He was he was really hitting the ball all over the place. He'd hit between two sixty-five and like two ninety in the minors. He he has a great hit tool. He's he's had to sacrifice it a little bit for power now, but that's how development works, right? Like that happens, but then you can see an adjustment where he maybe blends the two together. So maybe he looks less like a 25 to 30 home run hitter and more like a 20 to 25 home run hitter in a full season. But maybe that batting average does come up to what projections say is closer to like a 240, 250, maybe even 260. I think that's there. Uh, he does need some opportunity, but the Rays, I think, will give it to him because he can play all over the place and because he, he was surprisingly good at defense, even though he really, I mean, he never looked good at any fielding spot when I would watch him, but he was better at it. The Rays figured something out. Big fan of Paredes. I think that. Uh, people are going to see that 200 batting average and think that's all there is, but there really is a, maybe, maybe instead of being a big crater in your batting average, he's just a slight negative. And just that change makes him a much more valuable fantasy asset.
1: Perfect. Well, with
2: yours, we are going to be sticking with the Rays it looks like. So do you want to talk about your player too?
4: Uh, you mean another player the Rays traded for last season? Cause it's Jose Siri. Uh, look at this point in the draft, I want a guy who could go like twenty twenty. Do something crazy. Give me the guy who, like when we talked about O'Neil Cruz. Give me the guy who's the fastest, the strongest, and an a, a superfluous outfielder. Right, the guy's amazing in the field. He makes all kinds of plays. He might be the fastest guy in the league. Right, like he Jose Siri is is amazingly athletic. And yeah, like when you look at this, like when you look at the bat, the quality of the batted ball, it's terrible. It really is. But. When he finds a pitch to turn on, he does, in fact, turn on it, right? And when he's on base, if ever, he will run because he's really hard to gun down. You need a, I mean, you have to have a really good catcher with a really good throw, no matter how bad his jump is. So give me the guy with that kind of upside there, especially because at that point in the draft, I'm not really looking for a guy to fill a starting spot all that much, right? I'm intentionally drafting a guy who I hope will start the whole time, but I very much buy into the, the Nick Pollock philosophy of, like those last, like that last one or two outfielder, you're going to stream it anyway. You're going to yeah. keep throwing stuff against the wall to see what sticks. Why not see if the if the Rays can unlock a little more in Jose Siri? They know they need to play him because you can't leave that glove on the bench, right? Yes, it could drag down batting average, but he might have everything else, right? He, he might be able to give you that power and speed. I'm a big fan of that, so let's see what he can do. He never really got an opportunity with the Astros. The Rays love the defense. They, I mean. Why can't he be Kevin Kiermeyer, who's been valuable at multiple points throughout the last couple of years, right? Why can't he be that he's as injury prone, at least, right? Like he can be everything that Kierma- yeah. Kiermaier was. So that's what I'd be looking for.
3: Who who was that middle infielder for the Cardinals last year who got like all like a, a lot of people tweeted about him because his savant page had like 99th percentile max exit velo, 99th percentile sprint speed uh god and it was it was a not very good player because that's what series page reminds me of you go on it and there's only five sliders and they're all blood red it's like the tools are incredible
4: yeah i think you're thinking of nolan gorman
3: no uh, no this is this this was a this was a middle infielder and maybe it was edmundo sosa i I don't know oh yeah yeah
4: he's he's shown some good tools too but like get just get the tools right like again he's not o'neill cruz right but he has
1: like a flavor of that, you know, 150, pic, 200 picks later, <laughs> 300 picks later. God. I just found the name of the episode. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate that.
2: Anyways, uh, I I'm trying to figure out who I would want to take now because I'm sitting here flipping back and forth in my mind between who I would want to take be, between uh, Isak Paredes and Jose Siri. I mean that's that's so
4: it's hard because we talk about this in a vacuum and there's no such thing as a vacuum in fantasy baseball. Yeah, exactly. It's round. all
2: contextual as to what right? your team is up to that point, right? Like, yeah. What yeah, do you af- need
4: after the first round? There's no vacuum, but I could see if you needed a floor, it's Isak Paredes probably. Yeah, right. Because you saw the worst batting average I think he'll post as a major leaguer, right? Jose Siri, you may not have actually seen the worst batting average he could post as a major leaguer. He's a he's a big time free swinger and could absolutely turn into uh, something not good. And he's not super durable, right? Um, He's yeah. not unlike Manny Margot and Kevin Kiermaier who hurt themselves a lot because they make amazing plays. But um, if you were, if you're just swinging for the fences, uh, both figuratively and literally it's to me, it's probably Jose Siri in that point.
1: Love it. All right. And then, okay. My last, I'm sorry, Scott, I feel bad because you're the
2: hitter guy and I'm ending the episode with a pitcher so please forgive me i hope that's okay just no, talked about uh, hitters fine. for 90
3: minutes and you're just going to punctuate things with a, two
2: minutes on a pitcher cool i can't stop being me i'm sorry uh so i want to talk about shamanaya uh shamanaya was someone i was really high on coming into last year uh because i had been doing preliminary work on my uh way to strikes metric uh and he was very, very high up on the list of qualified starters uh, coming into the 2022 season. And he was doing okay to good for like the first half of the season and pretty much halfway through he completely fell apart and gave up the most home runs he has in his entire career. Um, also, from a percentile standpoint, Chum and I last year had the highest walk rate. I think just compared to the league average. Of any year in his career, uh, so giving up more dingers, giving up more free passes to put people on base. Obviously, that's not going to bode well in terms of ERA and your rate stats and things like that. Um, but in 2022, like by weighted and strike rate, or sorry, 2021, I should say by weighted and strike rate, he was right in line with pitchers like Shohei Otani and Alec Manoa. Like we know that the ceiling is there, obviously, and he can perform well in that regard, missing bats. I think a lot of it was just he's so heavily reliant on locating his sinker well, and he didn't do that this year. Like, if you look at the heat map on his sinker, like, he throws a lot of strikes, don't get me wrong, and I get that you're going to have more red in the zone, but it's, like, just above the belt, right over the middle, pretty much, is where he's throwing that sinker this year. Um, Not super great. Um, I think it's becoming more hittable as he gets older. Uh, His slider was one pitch that did perform really well this past year, and I would like to see him change his picks pitch mix a little bit to throw that slider more often because he threw it like i think only like 12 percent of the time he's pretty much sinker change up for the most part uh so i'd like to see him maybe work that slider in a bit more um regardless this is a guy who has like an above league average uh fit minus uh in the four years leading up to 2022 like he was a an above average pitcher for four years leading up to 2022, and I really think that if he can tame the long ball problem that he had this past year, where he gave—I think he gave up like 29 home runs and 28 starts. Uh, I think he is closer to like a mid threes ERA, maybe like a three 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 four ERA type guy with like a 1.2 WHIP. Which at pick 322 in a draft, that's like a really awesome starting pitcher to have. And he's a guy who also is kind of a workhorse and give you a lot of innings as well. So uh, I think down here, Sean Mania is my guy i'm going i think i feel feel like i'm going more safe whereas you two are going more upside with your picks upside baby
4: yeah because we're fun
2: hey i i'm not i I am the fun one that does make sense shrubzy shrubzy is the fun one for the podcast uh you know what i like about this adp range
3: what's like martin perez is in this adp range 300 plus he just had he just had a 2.89 era over like 200 innings in an era when no one throws 200 innings and the underlying data i know no i know i love i love the restraint i i i I admire that he's this low still
2: people aren't falling for it you know who i see in here that i didn't pick intentionally ross stripling no tanner Hauck. oh no not tanner Hauck. yeah i mean i'm so upset about it i just wish they would Put him in a role and leave him there. Who knows what he's going to end up being next year? It's hard to say, but uh, he's also what, someone. Completely... One last question.
3: Oh yes, one last question for for Scott before we wrap things up. What do you are are you at all buying the 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 Matt Mervis? Are are you on that bandwagon at all? Do you do you think he's going to be anything this year? Did you see uh, him play when you were down in Arizona? Uh
4: just just for a second, and. Like the it again, I talked about this before. It's just the number of things that have to go right to get a path to fantasy relevance. Like you need yeah. lots of things to happen. You need role to be clear. You need um you need him to adjust quickly to the major league. You you need so many things. And I just I hate asking for more than one or two on a player that I want to plant a flag. Right? I re, like two is a stretch. I want to see one thing. Right? Usually to really plant a flag, I'm like, you just need to do this, do this. And it's better. Right. Like Brian Hayes, if you want to plant your flag in him, it's, Hey man, just get the ball in the air. Right. At least at least hit some doubles for God's sake. Right. Like that's one thing, you know, we can put the bat on the ball. You know, we can run, you know, do these things. You just need to do one thing. That's fine. But with other, when I start needing a role to open and to make that transition to the majors, and to not have anyone breathe down his neck for p- playing time. Like when I need all those things, it's like, Bleh. how excited can I really? get?
3: That's fair. He's just, he's a name that just keeps on popping up this off season. So I wanted to ask.
4: It, it It's not the same player or anything like that. But you know, who who killed me with that early in the season was Asturie Ruiz, right? Everybody was asking me, when's Ruiz going to come up? I'm like, look, the dude can run, but he can't hit. I need him to be able to hit. I need him to be able to like, Walk, I need them to get into like the top of the order, and none of those things happened. none of them. I needed like three things to happen, none of them happened, right like if I was asking for one thing, it wouldn't have worked out that that's what's just really tough about that transition. It's really hard to like we we don't we almost don't talk about it enough. It's really hard to go from the minors to the majors. It's not just like all the pitching is much better. it's like it's also a major human change yeah,
3: right you're like, Braves so- prospect.
4: Mm. yeah, well yeah, um. Well, I mean, unless you're Michael Harris, the second who I'm, I'm I literally never, he never dropped in my rankings the entire season. There's very few players that ever had that happen. He only moved up. It was
3: insane. I will never not be bitter about the, the Braves rookie
2: class of 2022.
1: <laughs> Truly really incredible. Honestly,
2: how many prospects have worked out that well? Like all of them. Like how many teams have had that many prospects work out that well? It's like league wide, you might have like a handful of guys
3: work out that well. And the Braves had two of them. Super crazy. Ugh. And they even had they even had like two months of Vaughn Grissom working out really well. Yeah.
2: But K rate, as Scott stated before. Not great. Uh just all right. Uh, Scott, thank you so much for joining us this week. We appreciate it. Glad to be here.
3: Yeah, no one, uh, no one de-
1: listens
4: to me talk so i have to do it over long so, periods of time
3: thank you for hanging no. out roughly twice as long as as we thought you'd be here
4: yeah, oh, yeah i mean it was only technical difficulties talking a lot and like every other thing that could have gotten in the way so i mean again just just a couple of things right
2: yeah exactly uh speaking of a couple of things scott uh Can you repeat some of your work that you do, obviously, like with your podcast? And then also, can you throw people? I know that the bird app is dying, but if you want people to maybe jump on that sinking ship with you, (laughs) do you You want to drop your uh, Twitter handle or anything like that?
4: Yeah, for the other rats still on that sinking ship. Yes, uh, it's uh, it's at if the chew fits. Uh, You can find me on Twitter there. I have the Hacks and Jack podcast that comes out on Monday mornings uh, with me and Joe Galina. It's mostly hitter focused. We talk about pitchers, but very begrudgingly so. I also, in season, I was, uh, was working on and probably will work on again, the First Pitch Podcast, you know, that nice little blurb in the morning about what happened the day before, what we expect to happen that day. Uh, and of course, I write the hitter list. Uh, it's going to be a little while before I have another one, probably closer to the the preseason, uh, sometime in the spring. There's not a lot of reasons to change my rankings right now because nothing is, like very few things are actually changing. But yeah. again, you can always put a comment on that article if you want to visit at list. I will respond to you uh, once I notice that it's there. So uh, I'll I'll give you a response there and we can talk about, you know, if you want to know if a player's moving up or down, but otherwise, yeah, that, that's what I'm doing. If you want to talk about baseball, hit me up on Twitter because again, yeah, I'm just looking for people to talk about baseball with.
2: Heck yeah. All right. Awesome. Thank you again, Scott, for joining us. We appreciate it. And that's been another episode of the, In the deep fantasy baseball podcast. We appreciate you all listening. Uh, if you'd like to follow us on the bird app as well, you can follow us at our shared account at in the DPL. You can also follow us individually at Schwebzy for Schwebzy. That's S H W E B S I. And then myself at Bun singles. And we'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Shwebsy, Send them out. Bye friends.